Welcome, ladies, to the Real Estate Investor Show, providing inspiration, strategies, and insight to empower women investors to live balanced and financially free lives. Now, here are your co-hosts, Liz and Andressa. We had such a great interview with Alina Trigub on today's show. She is the founder and managing partner of Samo Financial, basically an equity firm where she helps people passively invest in commercial real estate. We cover so many different things um, with, with Alina from, you know, her path to investing in syndications to, um, you know, how, why she's doing that you know, active versus passive investing. And, and really what was amazing with our, with our interview with her today was really getting into uh, the power of mobile home parks and why it's so important to diversify asset classes. So we get into some pros and cons and how to do your due diligence when you're buying uh, potentially a mobile home park or investing in a mobile home park. So it's really a really neat episode. You're going to love it. And Alina knows what she's talking about because she was a former CPA and she knows her stuff when it comes to these, uh, you know, the different pieces of, a, of a financial statements and syndications and all that good stuff. So enjoy the episode. Welcome back, ladies. This is Liz and you are back with the Real Estate Invest Her Show. And I know most of you are ready for me to say this is Liz and then Andressa typically says, and this is Andressa, but I am running solo today. Uh, but it's all good. Andressa will be back with us next week. But uh, in the meantime, we have a phenomenal guest on this week's um, episode and, you know, on the Real Estate Invest Her Show, um, Alina Trigub. Alina, uh, thank you so much for being on our show. Liz, it's my pleasure. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for yeah. having me. Alina and I have known each other for quite some time, so it's really a pleasure for me to interview her and all the neat stuff that she's up to, which we'll jump into in a moment. But Alina, typically we, you know, we kind of start the show getting connected to our audience because it's all women listening and we're all on this path to um, you know, creating more financial freedom in our lives and doing it in a balanced way, which sometimes doesn't always go together, you know? Um, so I wanted to share an interesting thing I actually got from a meditation of really getting really connected to an app called Calm. I know many people have used it, but it's C-A-L-M. It's literally, they give you 10-minute meditations every day. It's, it's, just, it's just wonderful. I've, I've always done the, you know, in and out. Sometimes I do it, sometimes I don't, but I've been really consistent for about a month. And they, they shared something this morning I, I just wanted to share with, with our audience she said, when you're working through difficult emotions, which I know all of us have, you know, and all, all of us have different triggers, right? For, for different reasons. For me, it's my kids, you know? Oh, I can relate to that one. Right? I'm patient for like, I'm patient, I'm patient, I'm patient. And then I go to 10, you know, and I get a little intense at times. Yeah. So with my emotions. So she shared this little acronym called SANE, and it's kind of neat because it's all about staying sane, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it, it, the, the letters are S-A-I-N. And the S stands for when you work, when you're working through a difficult emotion, you know, S stands for stop. A stands for allow. The I stands for investigate. And the N stands for non-identification. And I just really loved it because she basically said, when you're working through these difficult emotions, start to become an observer. And it's really hard when you're in the emotion. Absolutely. But, yeah, right? I mean, but I'm really, I'm really going to take this on. So stop, 
allow it, right? So if it's anger, allow the anger or allow it, then investigate it. Like what's coming up for me? You know, um, what, what caused this? What triggered this? Um, what feelings am I having? What physical, you know, effects am I having? And then she says the N is the non-identification, meaning don't identify to it. Start to become separate from it. Again, I, I thought it was a neat concept, you know, and just to do more in my life. I don't know if I've mastered that certainly, but I'm going to try. So I don't know if you, you've seen that. You have, older, you have older kiddos, but I'm sure right. where have you seen that in your life? Yeah, no, Liz, I can certainly relate to that. And even with all the kids, I mean, you need more patience as they become older. And actually, um, I, I think it's a, it's a great point and a great exercise to go through because, um, you know, early on, they are unintentionally testing your patience. But as they get older, that becomes very, very intentional. And so the more um, you can work on yourself and literally concentrate on all these points, I, I especially like the last one, the non-identification. Yeah. Before you can kind of uh, disidentify yourself from it, kind of keep yourself away from it, the better off uh, your whole family will be and you, yeah. you're going to be more sane, a lot more sane, you know, uh, literally because um, we, we create so much tension and stress and pressure on ourselves yep. that if we can find a way to mitigate that pressure, we're going to help our families tremendously because, yep. you know, we want to have joyful, precious, uh, happy time with, with our family members and any way we can help that, uh, you know, it gets us there. (laughs) It's going to get us in a much better place. Yeah. So so staying sane, right? So I'll I'll have to report back on how that's working, but, um, (laughs) um, you know, meditating, I, I've listened to, you know, a number of your podcasts and I know you started meditating a while ago and you're going on and off and I'm actually doing exactly the same thing on and off on and off, trying it out, see if it's going to work. Yep. Some days are better, some days are worse. Um, I'm actually doing the three-minute meditations, and I've tried different ones. There are some for uh, pressure, some for stress, some for mm-hmm. collecting your thoughts. I've, I've been trying different things, and, you know, it's it's more or less trial and error, yeah. but taking action, as you said in one of your shows, taking action is what's the most important, what's, what's critical. Um, yeah in our life and in our business, everywhere we do. If we take action, it's going to bring us so much closer to our destination. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate that. It, um, yeah, so, so try that out, you know, the, the women listening, sane. Stop, allow, investigate non-identification. So, um, awesome. so without further ado, um, Alina and I are going to jump into the interview. Um, Alina, as we, as we like to share with all of our amazing women we have on this podcast, please share with us your kind of journey of how you began real estate, you know, getting into real estate investing. And I know you, you have a, a real amazing quality. Um, you know, I'm sure the ladies listen to the intro of, you know, really getting people into passive investments and, and tons of apartment buildings to mobile home parks. We're going to get into all that. But for you, how did you, how did you get there? How did you, you know, what was your path? How did you begin uh, getting interested in real estate investing? Sure. Thank you for your question, Liz. For me, uh, real estate investing began uh, about six years ago. Um, I was actually searching for a way to diversify my portfolio. It 
it has been always in Wall Street. And it has been a huge concern for me for many, many years, especially since uh, my background in education is in accounting. I'm a former tax accountant and taxes has always been on my mind um, as uh, something that I, I needed to decrease somehow. And I couldn't find a way to decrease our taxes. Uh, and I was thinking about real estate for many years and my husband and I even dip our toe about 10 years ago, bought a property in Philly, uh, turned out to be a wrong neighborhood, wrong place. And- <laughs> You know, everyone goes through that yep. uh, life experience. And six years ago, I decided to try it again. I started researching, reading about real estate, and I started looking uh, for a way to invest. And after doing uh, a search for properties locally here in northern New Jersey, where I live, very close to the city, I, I couldn't find anything. And I decided to dig deeper and see what are other ways I could invest. Mm. So I decided to go out of market, uh, out of state. And when I went out of state, my further research brought me to the topic of syndication. Uh, after you know doing evaluations and finding uh, deal sponsors and uh, markets and then the properties, I took an action. I started investing, invested in one, then another, then another, and it was kind of like a trickle down effect. And uh, after investing for several years, I realized the benefits of syndication. Number one, it was completely passive. I like I had to do no work on my part. So it was done without any interruption to my daily living, my work, family, and everything else. Number two, it allowed to preserve wealth, to preserve principle. Most of the deal sponsors, what they're looking for is to actually give you the principle back as fast as possible and you know sometimes that fast happens in three five seven years but you know that's their main goal to return your principal first then to allow to pay your dividends which is your residual income and on on top of it you get what i was looking for you get uh, the tax saving strategy because the way syndications are treated um, it allows you to save on taxes because you get to expense um um, a lot of deductions and your passive losses against your passive income. And that's what makes it stand out. That's what makes it uh, differentiates it from Wall Street, where if you invest in Wall Street, let's say you invest in REIT, the Real Estate Investment Trust, which is a pure mutual fund, you'll get no tax benefits whatsoever. And that's a huge differentiator when it comes to syndications. And on top of it, again, it allows you to diversify. So in addition to having stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, you now have a portfolio where you're diversifying into syndication where you can invest not only in multifamily, you can invest in other commercial real estate asset classes, mobile home park, storages, assisted living, uh, offices, and and list goes on. And mm-hmm. on top of it, you know, you can invest nationwide. For instance, in my portfolio, I have no investments locally by me in a tri-state area, and that's unfortunate. But you know, I live in a very low cap rate area in New York, New Jersey. It's mm-hmm. very very expensive. But but you know, I our investors and I are fully diversified. We have investments all over the place, and we go into the markets that are cash flowing. We're not betting on appreciation. That's not my strategy. But right. Going to the market that allowed to bring cash on a regular basis. We we provide um, you know healthy and uh, nice environment for our tenants. We beautify the community. So we're doing good, and by the same token, we're making money. 
So I feel like it's, you know, a, a huge untapped territory and I'm trying to bring as many investors, women and men into syndications and allow people to build up their portfolio, preserve their wealth, sell even taxes and build a legacy for mm. themselves and their families. Oh, that's great. So there's a lot, a lot you said there. Um, so you started to do some research along your path and found that, that passively investing was the route for you. I think that's an interesting point, you know, in, in a lot of ways, I don't think enough people, especially women um, and men, really, really whomever, they don't think through, do I want to be active how active do I want to be and how passive do I want to be? And I think that's a really important question because so many different ways to get involved in real estate investing has literally, you can have a full-time job, right? I mean, you know, yeah, if, yeah. if you're, you know, depending on what part of this business you get involved in. And I think that's so helpful for the, for the women listening as you grow your portfolio or if you're, you're looking to buy your first rental. The question is, you know, where do I really want to be? What are my goals? But really how active or passive do I want to be? And will that get to me, get me to my goals? You know? Sure. So, you know, it sounds like you, you assess that really well. Yeah. Um, you also have a full-time job at the time, right? And you, do you still have? I, I still do. I still do have full-time job. And yeah, yep. and um, I actually get a lot uh, this question on bigger pockets, not for me directly, but I see a lot of people asking, yeah, where do I want to invest? How do I want to invest? Yeah. There? active or passive. And uh, the way uh, I try to explain it to them is you have to determine where you're at in your life. Mm -hmm. You have a full-time happy and healthy career that you're progressing and it's taking more than 40 hours a week. Or do you have a very busy business practice and you want to stay in this business and you are actually making pretty good money. If you're great in what you're doing, no matter whether it's your W2 or your business, Stick to it. That's how you know to make money. Continue doing money in that way and invest passively. And that's how I guide mine investors, and which I kind of alluded to, but I didn't finish in your earlier question. So after investing passively for many years, I realized the benefits of it. And out of this, the idea of my business was born. So that's how Samo Financial came to life. Got it. Where, um, I started bringing passive investors, equity partners into the deals, um, educating them and explaining to them how syndications work and uh, connecting them with the right opportunities and the deal sponsors and really helping people get further alone and start passively investing and start diversifying their portfolio mm -hmm. on the Wall Street. And so when it comes to whether one wants to be active or passive, so number one is the bandwidth. Do you have the bandwidth to do it? Mm -hmm. Number two is your why. How strong is your desire to be active or passive in this business? Yep. If, if your answer to number one, the bandwidth is, let's say, five to 10 hours, then there's absolutely no way you can be active. If you want to be active, you need to work in this business at least as much as you work on your full-time job, if not more. So yeah. if you have that much time, if, if you're driven to, to do it, to commit to that 40 plus hours, 
then absolutely do it. Yeah. I'm not saying it's going to stay like that forever. Obviously, as you start, as you grow, you find ways to automate your practice and sure. do things absolutely. faster. But at the beginning, it will be extremely time consuming. Yeah. You have to be able to commit to it and stick to it. That's, that's very, very critical. Yeah. And when it comes to passive, again, at the beginning, you will need to spend a, a bit more time on educating yourself, understanding how syndications work. And I'm absolutely more than happy to provide that education and guide you along and help you out. I, I believe that my uh, background in education and accounting and finance um, will help you tremendously. And I know how to guide people in the right direction. Uh, but once you're there, once you're fully educated, you understand how syndications work, you understand uh, how to read the investment summary, you understand uh, what you're looking to gain from the syndication and, and where do you want to uh, take your investment portfolio, then I would say five to 10 hours tops. And it's not even every week. It's whenever you have the offering in front of you, you need to review it and make a decision. Sure. So uh, in the long term, passive investing provides absolutely no interruption to your yeah. daily life. So it's yeah. perfect for people that have very busy lives and don't want to get active. Yeah, absolutely. No, I love that. I love that distinction. I just don't think that's a conversation that gets enough, you know, dialogue. And it's something that really people need to be mindful of before they jump in one way or the other. I, um, I completely agree. What I thought you said a moment ago, too, was really helpful around you educated yourself. Now, you, you're, you have a unique background, right? You have a finance background, you, you know, accounting. Like, sounds like you have a lot of those key skills, which is critical, right, to, to evaluate these different things. How would you say, how, what would you say to the women listening of how did they best, how do they get really educated in syndications? You know, what are some good resources? You know, what have been some, you know, uh, books you've read or, you know, just anything you could recommend to if they want to self-educate and really, you know, make sure they're, they're understanding and educating, not just from the syndicator who wants their investment dollars, right? Um, not that they can't educate because people come to us and, you know, you know, cause we do syndications as well, like you, Alina, and yep. we'll educate. That's part of your job, just like you do. Yeah. But I think when you're learning about syndications, it is really helpful to learn from, you know, from just, just in general. So you can really get it before you, okay, let me learn more about this syndicator. Where might they learn just general syndication information so they can feel educated? Sure. Sure. Uh, so there's plenty of education out there and it actually serves community in many ways and whatever approach uh, each person likes. So they can read books. Uh, the books that I would highly recommend to start with is Gene Trowbridge. It's a whole new business. And also Joe Fearless, uh, his best ever book on syndication. Mm -hmm. Those are extremely great educational materials for anyone who wants to read or listen to them. Yeah. On top of it, there are tons of webinars, or, I'm sorry, podcasts that they can listen to on syndication. Uh, yep. One that comes to mind that I think is a, a great educational resource is uh, run by Whitney Sewell. Yep. Um, it's a real estate syndication show. It gives a lot of information about syndication. Yeah. And also invest her community. I mean, uh, Liz, you and your husband are a great resource for syndication. You interview a ton of women sure. that are also in the syndication space. So there's definitely plenty of materials and people to reach out to. And the last but not least resource is networking. I think it's absolutely critical to network with like-minded investors uh, through Invest Her community, 
through bigger pockets and then mm -hmm. locally go to local networking events you in you don't necessarily need to connect with people that are syndicators you can connect yeah. with people that are directly investing in specific asset classes and whether yeah. you're interested in let's say uh, multifamily or mobile home parks connect with the people talk to them talk about asset class you know if your interest is to invest in let's say mobile home parks through syndications or directly yeah no matter which method you choose you still need to learn about mobile home parks as an asset class itself how it behaves where to invest how yep. to pick a market what are the pros and cons of investing in mobile home parks and so forth yep. so i think uh the sources are out there uh you just need to again take action and start start educating yourself and it's not a rocket science by no means and by the way even if it were rocket science everyone can get educated so <laughs> that is true that is can, true taking baby steps i understand that everyone is busy has family uh, yeah full-time career I, I get that I'm actually in the same boat as everyone else but if you start taking baby steps one or two hours a week whatever you can devote to it um, in a year in two years you, you'll, you'll get it. Yeah. yeah so uh, as long as you take in actions yep. that's, that's all that matters yeah baby steps are, are critical I would also say too I, I don't know if you've been seeing this Alina and you are you know you're you're in similar space as us a lot of syndicators out there right now and there's a lot of good ones yep. um, but there are a lot of folks out there right now that are you know presenting these these apartment building deals and you start asking them questions about their experience or you know how they put the deal together and they don't know how to answer the questions like so there are i don't mean that there's a lot of imposters out there but there are a lot of people in the space right now you know, talking about apartment building deals, and I would not give them a penny of my money. So I say that because there's a lot of great teams out there, you know, that are doing this type of work. You're working with a ton of them, Alina. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're building a team that's, that's going to be around for a long time. I just say this to the, to the women listening, you got to vet and you'll learn this as you're, you're educating yourself, vetting the deal is obviously critical, but even more important, you've got to vet the team, not just the person, but the team that's bringing the deal to you. Um, because, you know, things go, things can twist and turn, and you know this, Alina, not yeah. every project, you know, is going to give you the returns that they say they're going to give, and yeah. things happen. So you got to know what is the character of these people that I'm giving my money to. Yeah. Are they gonna, you know, so that is critical. And I, I, I just, I've been hearing a lot of different people out there just spouting out numbers and just, I, I, I'm like, oh God, they're, they're, they should just not be doing what they're doing. It's just um, not even, not that it's legal, but it's, these are not people who I'd literally give $5 to. So yeah. I just say that to just be cautious, you know, be cautious and do your due diligence. Um, that's that's all. That's yeah, Liz. You bring such an important point, and uh, you know, I I love how you share it with the audience. I I absolutely agree with you, and I actually talk about this a lot. So, when it comes to evaluating indications, first and foremost, you need to evaluate the deal sponsor and their team. So everything starts with the person. So talk to the deal sponsor. Talk talk to a syndicator. 
Are you in line with their long-term strategy? Are your personal interests in line? And I don't mean hobbies, but I mean in general, values. Um, is he or she and you uh, are about the same things? Are your goals aligned? Do you connect well with the person? Because if there is no connection, if you, you feel like something is off, absolutely do not go work with that person. I mean, you're going to be investing with them a large sum of money. You don't want to invest with someone you do not trust or have a gut feeling that this is not someone you want to go with. So first and foremost is connecting with the person, making sure that you align with them. And I mean, these days, uh, what's really easy is just researching them. Go on Google, read about them, uh, make sure that uh, they have uh, what they talk about and they are w what they share with everyone. Make sure that you find the proof about them and make sure that this is the person that you want to be investing for a long time because you're not going with them into just one investment. You're going to be with them for a very long term and probably investing in multiple investments. So make sure mm -hmm. this is the person you want to stick to. And that's yeah. number one. No, I love that. I love that. And I think that that's also something to, just to keep in mind. Um, you know, evaluating the deal, obviously, like you said, starting with the person and the team. So to shift gears a bit, I know you've gotten uh, your passive investors into a lot of different commercial kind of asset classes, uh, but one in particular we haven't talked a lot about here on our, our podcast is mobile home parks. And quite honestly, selfishly, like I'm very intrigued by them. I, I, I've always been intrigued by them. Uh, you know, I've been more, I have more experience in the multifamily space over the years and flipping homes and, and some new construction, but mobile home parks, no experience. So what can you tell us a little bit about, and I know there's a lot to that topic, but I'd love to hear your perspective because you're actually, you know, uh, you're at the forefront of putting your clients into mobile home park uh, projects. So what are the things that you look for? What are the, especially when it comes, because again, I'm thinking in the multifamily space. So what is specific to that asset class of mobile home parks? Just, you know, what have, what's been your experience? Sure, sure. And uh, just like everyone else, Lisa, I started with multifamily. It was close to home. I lived in apartments. So it was very, sure, you very, know that. yeah, to relate to that yep. style. So yeah. but as, as we went along, um, I realized the need for diversification and not just diversification um, into different geographical locations, but diversification further into other asset classes. So I, I again, I done my research. I looked into different asset classes and pick mobile home park as something that would be um, a viable strategy long-term and also viable strategy if we hit a downturn. And the reason for that mainly is because mobile home park uh, offers um, a, a lot of um, options that are offered in multifamily space. And what I mean by that, there is always been and still is a huge demand for multifamily and because of that uh, people more or less shy away from other asset classes and uh, that gives uh, other people opportunities to look into other asset classes so mm. mobile home park is one of those asset classes that um, hasn't been looked into very heavily in the past. It, it's becoming very, very popular now. So it's becoming mm -hmm. as hot as multifamily these days, uh, but the opportunities are still out there. So we we look for locations where, um, you know, the, the neighborhoods are very overpriced 
and people cannot necessarily afford living in the apartments, so they look for the an alternative. And you know, there there's still a lot of families that would like to have their kids go into decent school neighborhoods. Mm. So in order for them to go into decent schools, uh, they need to find an affordable living. And mobile home park communities offer that affordable living. Take take for instance Arizona as a state. You know, the rents are very very high in that state. And a lot of families cannot afford it, but they still want their kids to be in decent school. So uh, that's what we provide through mobile home park communities. Um, another point I want to add is that a lot of people have this preconceived notion that mobile home park is this dilapidated house that's going to collapse from the next uh, winter. So right. Not the case. I mean, I, I wish we could show people the pictures, but some of the mobile home parks uh, that we buy and then beautify from outside, it looks just like a regular home. It's just a lot smaller um, and you know a lot more efficient, but otherwise it looks like a regular home inside and out, uh, but it's a lot more affordable for people that cannot pay high rent prices. Um, so, so when you actually go, so like, I'm just thinking through like, cause again, my, my head is, um, and I'm familiar, obviously I've seen them. Yeah. And- you know, you have this, uh, I don't know, want to call it, and it's not right, but a stereotype, especially being from the Northeast. We don't, you know, you're in the Northeast with me. We don't have a, I mean, I bet you they're, they're, they're around us. I just don't know about them. And then I think of the, the, the mobile home parks and I immediately envision, you know, um, I I don't know. I don't know what to think. I'm not sure of what the the tenant bases. Now, is it a tenant base? So you, you go in and buy, I have multiple questions. I have like so many questions popping in my head. Do you go in and actually buy then the land and the home and rent it, you're basically rent it, renting it back to the tenants or do they actually own their mobile home park? Sure. Curious, how does that whole, whole, sure. mobile home house, excuse me. Yeah, great, great question. So um, in a lot of cases, it's a park owned home, POH as people call them. Uh, so they sold and owned by the park, which is not obviously our preferred strategy. We would like tenants to own the homes and there are reasons to that. But uh, what we do is once we buy the park owned homes, and by the way, it could be a combination. It's not always that black and white. So when we buy it, we when we look for the next tenant, we offer them an option of lease to buy. Okay. In other words, they start leasing and then gradually they go into buying it. You know, we're not talking about something that may cost, you know, 50 to $100,000. It's, it's a lot more affordable and a lot more. What's the range? What's the range? Low end, high end? Yeah, low end. I mean, it could start as like at five, ten thousand dollars It really depends on wow. the area and the type of house. Yeah, it could start as low. Interesting. As so, yeah, it, and that's why I'm saying it's a lot more affordable. But what happens as the tenant buy their house, it becomes their home. And, you know, as, as a homeowner, you want to beautify the place where you live. So naturally, they start taking care of it inside and out which also means a lot less expenses for us as the park owners, which Mm. also means that, you know, we're helping beautify the community by uh, letting the owners uh, buy the mobile home and work on them. And then we beautify the surrounding. We're also lowering expenses. And one of the, you know, highest expenses in multifamily is uh, plumbing. And we uh, have, you know, very little to no plumbing expense when owning mobile homes. So that's that's a huge, huge factor. And while mobile homes are priced uh, lower than multifamily, but again, because there is no this high expense, 
we, it allows us to you know drive the income um, to, mm. to higher numbers in addition to that in general you know when uh, the mobile homeowners start owning the homes. We have a lot other of other maintenance expenses, gas, electricity, and so forth. So the only areas that we're responsible for are the common areas. So mm. yeah, that that keeps our expenses very very low. Uh, and my my other earlier point is pride of home ownership. You know, every homeowner, whether it's a mobile home or a regular apartment or whatever it is, they they want to be um happy in their home so they're trying to beautify it and they'll they'll do everything possible to make it look nicer so th that drives the value of the overall mobile home park community higher as well when we do that and in general it just like um, in a regular home in mobile home people want to have their privacy and mobile homes do give people that privacy you right. know they live in their own home and uh it's like it's like you, you do have neighbors outside, but inside your own home, it's your own place and, you know, you, you do whatever you want. So it, it's definitely another factor to keep in mind. That all. You have, do you find that um, there's property management companies that specify in the mobile home space? Because I would think it's yeah. a little different. Yeah. Different absolutely. challenges, different issues. I mean, it's all, sure. you know, but it sounds like it's a little, it's a, it's a niche. So do you find that it, that it matters? It doesn't matter? What, what have your experiences been? Absolutely. Yes. We, we only hire property management companies that specialize in mobile home park communities. Yeah. We know how to manage them. And obviously, you know, for a larger community, it's uh, on-site property manager. For the small right. ones, we, we need to have multiple communities nearby so the property right. management can take on them and uh, the expense would make sense for us economically. But yeah, we only hire people that specialize in mobile home parks community and know how to manage them. And in terms of clientele, I mean, I would say it's the same as multifamily. It really depends on the area. Uh, you know, there are some areas where you, you and I may not want to be even during the day in multifamily space and the same applies to mobile home. Sure. It's the same. It's not like any different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, there are areas that are only serving maybe senior community, people that are at a different stage of their life. They retired and they, they want to live in a quiet place uh, somewhere in, in, in rural areas of Arizona. And then there are other mixed communities, but uh, again, um, very, very similar to multifamily in that regard. Every community depends on the area, depends what you're doing to it as an owner, and depends where you want to take it down the road. Yeah. Is, is, is the hold similar? So is it like a, similar like to a multifamily yep. where you go and try to add value? Uh, sure. Okay. Very, very similar in that regard. Okay. You, know, you can hold for as little as you want or as long as you want, but you, like you said, you're trying to add value. Um, uh, one of the huge uh, value add components for us is extra space in the park. If there is extra space, mm. if we can build up and bring more mobile homes into the area, that's definitely a huge value add component. That we'll that's a, yeah. And, and you probably don't need a ton of space. It's, it's it, you know, because they're, I don't know the exact dimensions of these. Are there different sizes of mobile home houses? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, there are different sizes, different okay. requirements and regulations, and you have to go by what's allowed in the What's area. allowed. Yeah, but, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely something to look for, and it's a space that needs to be learned before someone jumps into the area. Yeah. But absolutely learnable, yeah, and doable, and very similar to multifamily in that regard. 
what would, you know, I get, I get this question a lot on the multifamily space. So I'm going to ask it to you from the mobile home park space. Sure. What would you say are the biggest mistakes uh, an investor can make when they're embarking on investing in mobile home parks, whether they're doing it, you know, as a, as a passive investor or they're the, or they're the, you know, they're the general partner, what have you, regardless of the, regardless of the role they have, if they're literally investing dollars into these, these mobile home parks, what do you, what would you, what do you find to be the biggest mistakes that uh, investors make? Yeah, I think one of the biggest mistakes is not doing enough due diligence um, on the park itself, on the area, on the demand in the area, uh, making sure and finding out uh, who is responsible for the water, who is responsible for the gas mm-hmm. pipelines, for electricity, uh, looking how many park-owned homes, how many are tenant-owned, whether there is demand for the mobile homes, whether it's even feasible to do a lease-to-buy option, because it's not feasible in every single area. In some areas, people cannot afford even to buy a house, even to pay rent. Right. So you have to make sure that the area supports your strategy. In other words, when when you buy a fully park-owned mobile home park and you want to put the parks uh, on a tenant, make sure that the tenants, the population in the area can afford buying your mobile homes. Yeah, that's great. So so certainly due diligence, but what's interesting is, you know, you, you could say the same thing for multifamily, but the actual specific due diligence aspects of it, of mobile home parks is different than, than yeah. multifamily because, you know, lease to buy options, not something you really concern, unless you're doing like a condo conversion maybe, yeah. but you know, most, most apartment buildings, you're not worried about that necessarily. Sure. So, okay. That's a great, that's a great suggestion. Um, I could probably keep asking you questions, but I want to be mindful of, of the time. You've been great. I love all the tips and tricks. And I, I think you also said one other thing I want to just quickly mention before I have you um, share with how how the, how the woman listening can can get in touch with you, um, is you said something earlier that I thought was very powerful about diversification, and I and I think you said something. I think what you said was, you know, being geographically diversified, which which we've been very mindful of. We also got our start in the Northeast, and then it became very evident that this is just not making financial sense anymore. So we've you know we've kind of moved to the Southeast, but we've started to, you know, diversify geographically, but what you're saying, it makes so much sense around the asset class. And I think it's hard for, for investors who have been in an asset class like multifamily or whatever their focus has been because they become very good at it. That's what brokers bring them. That's what they know. And sure. there's so much of this business is getting distracted and you don't want to get distracted. But I think to your point, it is so important to start to incorporate different asset classes, mobile home parks. I know you do self-storage into your kind of like fold um, because it, it's helpful. I mean, it makes sense, especially if they're very recession proof, which I know. Yeah. You know. So I, I just wanted to make that quick point. And, and I think that's a really excellent point. I think it's just a, a little bit of a rub because when you start to become experienced in one asset class, you keep doing it because it's what you know and, right. and people keep knowing you as the, you know, mobile home guy or gal or, or multifamily guy or gal or what have you. So it's, it's tough to then break out of that. But again, you don't need to do it alone. You could do it right. passively. So, you know, there are ways to, to um, team up with people that you you don't need to be the expert on mobile homes. You need Thank to you. know enough like you're, you know, but 
I think that was an excellent point. I think that was something I just wanted to reiterate as well. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so the ladies listening, the, the wonderful, amazing investors that are listening to our show, uh, where can they learn more about you, um, you know, Alina, and where can they um, connect with you? Sure. They can go to my website, simulfinancial.com, or they can find me on social media, Bigger Pockets, LinkedIn, Facebook. Uh, uh, they, they can connect with me anywhere and you know, be happy to answer any questions. Yeah. You, you, and you have so much great, great information to share. So, um, you know, and I appreciate, appreciate you being on our show. Before we get to the end here, though, um, and Andressa usually does this. So this is, I think, my first time doing that. The fabulous three, which is, I'm like, what are the three questions? I had to go find them before our interview. But anyway, okay, first question. Most transformational book you've ever read? Uh, so I listen to a lot of books, uh, but I would say the two books that come to mind that I always remember and I actually live by is Miracle Morning by Hal Alrod. Ever since I read that book, I, I thought to myself, I, I have to read it again. And if this guy who's gone through the near-death experiences twice already in his life and he was able to do it, then you know I should be able to do it as well. Uh, highly recommend that book. I've been implementing Miracle Morning myself and, and living by it. And another one, it, it's a funky book, uh, it's um, You're a Badass by Jen Sincera, um, <laughs> but it I, she brings so much life experience and she opens up minds not only women but men as well as to uh, you have to look inside yourself and see who you really are and what you have you have so much greatness but you need to realize all of that potential and you need to share it with others so that's I, awesome. I love that book as well. that's on my list too i haven't got to that one but i've heard great things about it you'll enjoy uh, it you'll love it so what has been your most powerful routine that you do to create a financially free and balanced life yeah, so I kind of touched upon it when I said Miracle Morning, but mm-hmm. uh, ever since I read that book, I decided that I need to create my own uh, Miracle Morning routine. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a variation of what Hal is talking about in his book, but it more or less uh, involves um, de- definitely exercises. So I run in the morning, uh, cold shower, and then uh, like you, I've been on and off with meditation, trying it out, seeing whether it's going to work or not, and just being grateful for what I have in my life it's i think that's very very critical to show the you know how grateful you are for what you have for what you've been able to achieve and what's been given to you and uh, last but not least is just a vision board you know you have to make sure you have the vision board to visualize uh what you see yourself in like where you're going to be at and visualize it to the point that this is where you are today visualize it to make sure that that's that's where you see today and as if this is a present life and that definitely does work and um i have uh, proven life experiences that's great that's working. great love it so which woman famous or not has inspired you the most uh i you know there are a lot of women that uh, inspire me and i obviously you know everyone can say oprah mother Teresa, and so forth but to me, uh, what's important is to see uh, ordinary women around me uh, that inspire us on a daily basis. And I, I know I wouldn't be in this world without my mom. And I'm really grateful for everything she's done for me. I mean, she, she raised me on her own. So uh, mm. it was a lot of hard work, a lot of hard labor, uh, working multiple jobs. And the, 
while upbringing me. And then, you know, women that I meet at different conferences and the desire to succeed uh, and the willingness to do no matter what is so great um, in a lot of women, um, including yourself, please. I mean, I, I'm, I'm really impressed by your achievements and what you've been able to do in your life. That It's really fantastic. And no, thank you. My, my daughter, I mean, in a lot of cases, uh, believe it or not, I, I mean, I have a high schooler, but you can learn a lot from your kids uh, by watching them because they're actually a reflection of you. So mm. if you see something in them that you don't like, then stop yourself and think, wh- where is that coming from? Why they do what they do? And you know, think to yourself, is that something that I need to work on myself to maybe improve myself and change? Yeah. So that's, I, I think that's a huge educational factor that um, a lot of people just completely ignore. Oh man. Wow. You just you put, put, put that in perspective, you know, and I see my, my son who cannot, he has a hard time stopping something. Like if he's not complete, he's a really hard time stopping. And my husband looks at me the other day. He's like, you know where he gets that from, right? I'm like, no, he's like, you are crazy when you have to finish something. He's like, yeah, he has that now. I'm like, awesome. My five-year-old is obsessive like his mother. Great. You know, but you're right. Yeah, it's a great to look in the mirror, right? I can't yeah. do that. But uh, Alina, thank you so much for being on our show. I, I really appreciated all the great insight you've shared and, um, you know, just a lot of great, great, great insight. And I, I appreciate all your, you know, tips and, and strategies and resources. So thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing all your great knowledge with our community. Liz, it's my pleasure. I am really grateful to be here, sharing my knowledge with the investor community. And I'm grateful to you, for inviting me here. I'm more than happy to help out uh, the community in any way I can. Thank you awesome. so much again for inviting Thank me. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to receive updates on our next interviews, go to our website, therealestateinvestor.com. There, you can subscribe to our show, become part of our investor community, and get updates on upcoming episodes. If you like our show, please share it with other women who would benefit. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And as always, we encourage you to take one action as a result of today's show and put it into motion so you can live both a financially free and balanced life. Thanks for spending time with us. Ciao.